Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we assemble to explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our sixth season, we are looking at The Avengers. I'm Andy Nelson from the Next Real Film Podcast. And I'm Pete Wright. And wars are won by soldiers. And podcasts are won by ZipRecruiter and ExpressVPN and probably FanDuel. <laughs> Don't forget for Audible. <laughs> and, and Audible and Casper. And <laughs> That's right. Well, today we're talking about Minute 21, which begins with the status of the Avengers Initiative and ends with Angry Steve. Joining us on the show today, we have Movies by Minutes regular, Jonathan Carlyle. Jonathan, hello. Yay. Hi. Great to be here. We are thrilled to have you uh, joining us. Uh, we're sad that Tabitha can't be joining too, but we know we'll get to talk to her later in the season. And uh, but but you you two had kind of picked a number of minutes. This was one of them. And I guess my first question is, what was it about this particular minute that you wanted to discuss? It was Powers Booth, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, no. Doing, was, are you uh, doing a Powers Booth minute? <laughs> no, I, I would feel completely out of my element to do that. Uh, I, I recognize the name. And the only thing I really remember him from is from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and yeah. Avengers and stuff like that. But uh, I picked this minute because, you know, in the previous season, I mentioned that one of my favorite Captain America moments was him punching the bag. And this covers two minutes. The other minute was already taken. I was like, I should probably take the first one. So you get a little bit of the punching, the bag punching. A little punchy. It's all about the punching. That is fantastic. Uh, well, there's definitely some of that here. Before we start talking about Steve, though, let's talk a little bit more about this conversation that Nick is having on the uh, helicarrier with the World Council. You know, we're coming in right as uh, Powers Booth's character, Gideon Malak, is letting him know that the Avengers initiative um, was shut down. This is kind of where we're starting to get... We're coming in on this conversation midway through. But, I mean, how did this scene... How does this scene play for you, Jonathan? Do you like this uh, This kind of the, the moody tone that we have with this World Security Council? If I rewatch this movie, this kind of stuff, I, my brain just washes over and just waits to get to Captain America <laughs> and, and the heroes and stuff. Then watching Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., you know, that's what it's all about. Mm. Um, so a little bit more into it there. But in the movies, I, I don't really care. Yeah. In the show, um, you know, Pete knows, and it's come up on the show before. I know, I've never quite made it through all of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I, I, God, there are just so many episodes, and some of them just, some of the story threads really just take forever to get through. So um, when they have moments with uh, the World Security Council, are, do they look like this? Oh, they they kind of break out like they yeah. you know powers booth is like part of the show for a little bit and you know they're not just on on darkened TVs the whole time. Yeah, there's like characters moving around and yeah. not just visualized by through translucent screens. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, yeah, I was wondering how they would handle that. I mean, I know by the time we get to Winter Soldier, Jenny Agutter is actually going to be in the room. We'll actually have moments with them where they actually are walking around and stuff. Uh, I, I guess for me, I, I like this vibe of what we're creating with them. It does feel like this, um, you know, this Illuminati sort of group that is, um, you know, it's uh, running all of our governments and it makes it feel like all the governments are puppet governments and this is the real government you know there's this there's that feel to that to the way that they depict this group uh which i, I think is interesting but also to your point jonathan like 
after not having seen this film for a while, this isn't one of those scenes that stands out. I don't know, Pete, do you do you like is this is do you like these scenes? Well, you know, I mean, they're they're plot and bluster transition scenes, right? These are the like hanging on the edge of your seat sort of or edge of the next line kind of transition scenes. Uh, the the entire conceit of war is won by soldiers and and, you know, what is the last line? War isn't won by sentiment, director Fury. No, it's won by soldiers. That is the like the edge of your seat kind of transition scene, you know, as he's as he's saying the line, there's going to be a cut here and we're going to go to something dramatic. And in fact, we do. Uh, that's the the only excuse is to move us through like there is something going on. It's dark and brooding and we need to get back to our hero. Yeah. 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 It's I, I, I feel like there's nothing but mechanical plot movement to these scenes. Well, yeah, and I guess to that end, okay, so speaking of mechanical plot movement, the whole point of what this conversation's about is the fact that they chose to dump the Avengers initiative at, to instead focus on phase two, which was the development of weaponry. So in the context of, you know, a security group, kind of a, you know, a, a defensive military group, does it make sense to shift away from finding people who can fight and instead just developing weaponry to fight with? Or does it seem like, well, you kind of do need both? Like, where? I mean, how does that, it, does it seem, again, like something that's probably also just written? Tomorrow, our guest is, you know, the last time our guest was on the show last season, we talked all about it. he loves talking about fascism. And so I'm sure we're going to get there in our conversation uh, in, in tomorrow's minute. This is what I think about when we talk about this minute is here is this mysterious, like, cabal of secret world security members. We don't know how they're elected. We don't know how they come to be. We don't know anything about them. All we know is that they are architecting the future of humanity by through military force. And that's a scary thing, especially that they put it in a dark room that is just there's nothing that exudes peace in this meeting. And this, I think, represents the Avengers sort of turn toward the dark side paraded around as a fight for freedom. And it's it's a little bit scary. And I think it's supposed to be scary. I guess it's not that the scene isn't doing anything. It just doesn't do that much for me. But, you know, it does as these movies have gone on, we have seen Nick Fury, but it's always been in these little snippets and we don't really know much about him. What the scene does do for me is at least if Nick Fury was just Nick Fury and he didn't answer to anybody, you'd be like, how did he get there? Like, he's like the most powerful man on earth. He's got all this stuff. Um, at least this kind of puts him in the middle somewhere. He still has to answer to somebody. They're putting the kibosh to to the Avengers, but he's still going to be a little bit of a rebel and, and move forward. And that's, I mean, that's actually a really good point. And I suppose to what they were probably needing to do in context of the film is like exactly what you just said. Like Nick Fury seems like this, this leader behind this secret group who's doing all sorts of stuff. But by creating this group, this World Security Council that we get to see here, and I mean, you know, it looks like it's represented by at least a few people from different countries. We have a little bit of that sense from from these four. It gives us a sense that, yeah, Nick Fury also is answering to somebody else. And but I, I guess to that end, at least we get a sense that this is these people are all people who are theoretically looking out for the best of humanity. And I guess that's really what we're 
what we're setting up here. Or theoretically carries so much weight in that sentence, right? Like, <laughs> Well, I say theoretically. I, I would say in this film, it, it, well, again, it just boils down to this whole thing with the phase two. And that's that's yeah. the thing that as, as this film goes on and we realize, and Steve kind of finds these weapons and realizes what phase two is all about, then we realize, oh, wait a minute. They're actually kind of also up to no good. Well, it's it's even I don't I mean, we already know. I don't think there's any doubt by the end of this this minute, like to Jonathan's point, the minute may not do anything for us. It it may just be moving the plot forward. But there's nothing about the setting that indicates these people aren't up to anything but no good. Yeah. Right. Like that's just (laughs) that's just the mood they're setting. It's the whole vibe. And that's okay. Like we can move on from that, like knowing that there is something and and this is what's kind of magical about it. What we find out later about Fury's overall participation in it, Fury here is the defender of goodwill. Right. Fury is the defender of the good here. And later we find out he's kind of part of the evil, too. So uh, it, it makes him a more interesting character. I don't know. The more we talk about it, the more excited I get about this minute. And I, <laughs> I walked in here thinking this was just a bunch of BS minute moving the plot forward. Now I kind of like it. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I mean, there's there are interesting elements here. One of my other issues with this and this boils down to, as you already brought up, Pete, Crafting a scene to end with a very quippy line, you know, we've got uh, Jenny Agutter's character, um, Pamela Hawley, she says, well, she says, you believe, you know, you've got, he's, you know, Nick Fury has this whole thing about belief. And so she's like, almost scoffing at him, you believe. And then that's when um, one of the other councilmen says, war isn't won by sentiment director. And Fury says, no, it's won by soldiers. And then, I mean, okay, transition wise, it's a great transition from a scene here. It's won by soldiers to Captain America, a soldier. You know, we get that nice that nice connective tissue there, which in the form of storytelling, when you have a transition like that, it works exceptionally. But it also feels like when I look at the scene by itself, it also feels like, where is the end of this scene? Like, it, it feels like we're not getting any resolution here. And and so to that end, I end up frustrated with scenes like this because it's plot. We're just finding out about these points. We're finding out that they're all arguing, but it never resolves. It just it it ends with a quippy line, but we don't know like, okay, but what's what are the next steps now? Like, I don't know. It's just it's strange to me. And that's it frust it frustrates me. Yeah. But but this gets back to the function of this scene and and why we have to sit through it, because in addition to doing all those things that frustrate you, it's also it it is also a hook to the next scene to drama to hero. And to that, it you just have to get to the other side of it. Like, I don't know how yeah. you, how I mean, it's it, in terms of certain sort of beats to the film like this is this is, a, a you know, a downbeat. No. Yeah, you're right. I was I was just going to come to their defense, I guess, and be like, at this very at this very moment, like, can you blame them, though? Because there's a lot of people they don't have yet. And they've got Tony Stark, which he's kind of a loose cannon. Not kind of, he's definitely a loose cannon. Uh, you have a, a uh, warmed up uh, pop soldier. And... <laughs> Like who else do they have? Like Natasha? Natasha. I mean, they had Hawk, Hawkeye, Hawkeye, but by this point, they know that he's been taken by the bad guy. Yeah, and they're tracking Bruce, right? They they don't have him, but at least they know where he is. Sure, and they. So I guess if if you if you know a threat is coming, you got to gear up for it. And this whole Avengers thing is like 
kind of half gelling sort of and like promises of, yeah, we could probably get that guy. Maybe. Yeah. That, that again speaks to the fact that uh, they're building weapons. Like that's the thing that they are trying to do right now is build weapons, not develop the Avengers initiative. And so, yeah, it's, it's interesting that the, the tack, the, the approach that they're taking with all of this. So, but, um, and, and, you know, we'll have some more scenes with the World Security Council over the course of the film. So we'll certainly get to talk about them more and kind of the, de- the development of this story. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, let's use this as our transition to go talk about Captain America. So we are now coming in on essentially what was the cutscene that we had at the end of Captain America, the first Avenger. We see, uh, we see Steve in the boxing ring and we see him boxing and he's getting angrier and angrier and punching the punching bag. What we're getting now, however, is we start getting some flashbacks. We get moments from that film. We see uh, uh, Captain America and Dum Dum Dugan running and shooting. We see Cap using a shield to protect himself from the blue pew pew. Uh, hitting Hydra soldiers with his shield. We see the Valkyrie crashing, Red Skull grabbing the Tesseract. All these moments are kind of in flashback. And we'll have more in tomorrow's minute as well, because the this minute kind of ends mid-flashback. But, I mean, largely we're seeing a lot of the stuff that we had seen before. But there's, I, I don't know, I guess it's interesting. And so I guess, Jonathan, this is a good place to start, because I know this is largely why you picked this minute, was kind of this moment with Steve in the gym. You know, what is it about this scene that uh, that draws you to it? It's not completely clear. I mean, they don't exactly spell it out, but you get to kind of understand what he's kind of going through. And, and then the cool thing is with Captain America, as we move forward, even through other movies, we kind of get to see his development of a man out of time trying to not be so out of time. But this movie has a lot of fun with it. But we're going to start off with not so much fun. Just realizing, like, <laughs> like uh, you know, he's he's missing some things, and and uh, you know, I wonder too, like, you know, when he jumped on the grenade in the last movie, and and then he goes down in the plane. Not that it wasn't like he wanted to die, but like he sacrificed himself, and now he's back. Like, does does that make it lesser? You know, or you know, what am I doing here? It's just an interesting thing that you know, we're going to get back to the cut ups and the jokes later, but. But uh, it's kind of nice to not have it. We earn the humor later through the sadness now by remembering that there is grief that he's going through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, he's an interesting character because, uh, well, and something that, you know, I'm sure we'll be talking about uh, and we can certainly talk about now is the fact that according to the Marvel Wiki, this is about seven months after he was defrosted, after he came out of the ice. So I, I appreciate that they're coming in with him in this state for us, where we're kind of seeing him still struggling with kind of connecting to where he is and what he's missed and everything. Uh, but it does make me wonder what he's been doing this period of time. You know, I think there's there's an element of that here, because I can't imagine that he's just been this glum and pensive for the last seven months. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> it's been exactly <laughs> this glum and pensive, Andy. And that, and how we know is because we have this cut scene, right? We have this deleted scene. And I think we have to talk about that because that's why I showed up today. <laughs> uh-huh. Well, it's, I mean, it's really interesting. And there are, I think, more deleted scenes related to Steve and his story, like this kind of, this path that he is uh, struggling with, 
um, than any of the other characters that were left on the cutting room floor as they were whittling this film down from, I think it was around three hours to where we ended up landing. It's interesting, like starting here with this scene where we have Steve, it starts with the newsreel, World War II newsreel, and we're seeing some footage from the last film, we're seeing some new footage, we're seeing a lot of stock footage, and then we kind of realize, oh, it's actually Steve watching this on a laptop. Very reflective uh, moments of him then as he's looking through old files of the Howling Commandos, they're all dead, uh, the ones that we see at least, and then he comes to Peggy's file. You know, he sees that she's not dead. It has her location as to where she is. She's in Winchester in the UK. It has her phone number. He doesn't call it. Um, And then he sees Howard Stark's file. And interesting, this will be something that certainly will be interesting to talk about later in this uh, in, in the show. But we do see the the death dates for him and his wife, Maria Collins Carbonell Stark, December 17th, 1991. Um, And then he goes to Tony's file, and that is kind of, I suppose, in some sense, a connection for him to this story, as far as, like, going through all these people, and then from Howard Stark to Tony Stark, and then potentially, like, as a potential link into this. And then he goes to a cafe, he's sitting outside um, Stark Tower, it's not finished, so it's kind of funny to see the MetLife building, and then when it looks, it shows Steve's <laughs> so sketch, weird. it's actually the uh, Stark Tower. But anyway, this is where he talks to a waitress, and this is where we, we would have been meeting the actress, Ashley Johnson, who plays our waitress. We're going to talk about her later in the season, and we'll do her IMDb game there um, when she officially makes it into the film. But she had a much bigger role, and this is where it kind of started. She is this person who's waiting on Steve. She's talking to him about, are you waiting for Iron Man? And uh, this whole gag about wireless, and he thinks it's radio. And this is where we would have had our Stan Lee cameo, which I kind of prefer than the one that we get later. And then, uh, and then, then Steve goes to the boxing gym. So there's a lot of stuff going on in this. It's like you know, uh, close to four minutes as far as this deleted scene. Um, you know, how does this scene play for you? Do you like it? Do you miss it? Do you wish it was a part of the film? Yeah, I'm really torn by that because uh, we, I have. Uh, already complained and and we've discussed in past minutes how strange it is that we don't actually have a sense that seven months have passed for steve that the movie does not a, a, a terrible job at talking about his process and his grieving process because i think watching him go to town on that heavy bag is made more intense knowing he's been wandering around sitting at restaurants wandering around the city grieving over lost photos like that is a sense of time passing and that's the movie earning the emotional weight of his first meeting with fury and i think that's really powerful i totally get that they they got to make cuts for time but some of those like cap had the biggest transformation from the first film introducing the character to this team-up film of all of the central characters. And I feel like maybe he deserved a little bit more gravitas going into this, going into his introduction. Am I alone? I agree with what Pete said. When I do watch this scene, as it, as it plays out now, just the whole deleted scene on its own, it does, I think, probably pacing. They just they wanted to kind of keep things moving because it is time passing and you can kind of feel it when it's when it's happening. But I think I think the weirdest thing for me is that uh, 
I don't know what her character's name is, but the introduction of the waitress there. Waitress. Her name. Her name is waitress. <laughs> waitress. Yeah. All right. I I would imagine they would have given her a name had all sure. of these been included. But the fact that she was cut down to just a few scenes toward the end of the film, they just call her waitress. I just love that it's a nod to me. My head canon is it's a nod to "It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia" and the character waitress in that oh, yeah. show. It it delights me that that even exists. So. <laughs> But yeah, I think the the weirdest thing is knowing like, oh, she was supposed to make connection at the beginning and it's a nice bookend. But at the same time, I'm like, that's super convenient that she shows back up at the end, like in Cap's area. If maybe she showed up at the end, you know, where Black Widow was or, you know, something like, hey, we recognize her. But yeah, but to have like those two connecting at, at both ends of the movie, it's like, well, that's that's a lot of chaos to be that convenient about it. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess it's convenient that all of this is happening right below Stark Tower. You know, I mean, there, this this place where she works uh, yeah, at Pershing Square is literally like right below it by Grand Central Station. So I guess since that where is where a lot of stuff's happening, I guess it makes sense. But yeah, I can I can see your perspective on that. Sure, I like the scene. I do feel yes there i think that there are some pacing issues but i often feel that with some deleted scenes anyway i feel like they you know if this was in the film they might have cleaned it up a little more tightened it a little more uh but regardless i think there's a lot of interesting meat in here that uh for me gives me a little more uh sense of steve and his trying to connect to this time and place and so I kind of, I don't know, I kind of like these moments with him. And it's going to be interesting to kind of watch all of these deleted scenes as we go through the film, because I think um, I think it tells an interesting story of him, you know, trying to uh, find his place in life. Yeah. Jonathan, when, when you saw this scene, did it, uh, did it stand out as um, like a retread from the cut scene that you had at the end of Captain America, the first Avenger? Yeah. I mean, it, it, uh, Back when all of these Marvel movies started, we didn't know what it was going to end up like, and they didn't know what it was going to end up like. So, to some point, it wasn't like, oh, I've already seen this before. It was, you know, kind of like, oh, that's how it fits in, or, you know, that's... Yeah. It was a moment that I liked already, so it was kind of nice to have it in the movie in a way that makes sense. And back when back when we were all young and the Easter eggs wasn't a sickening term, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, it's, it is one of, but it is one of those scenes where it's noticeable. It's like, oh, I, I've seen this before. And I think that's, I don't know, in, in the scope of these, you end up as, as they give us more and more of these, those are the ones that end up being disappointing, you know, in retrospect, like ones like that, where it's like, oh, well, that was just a cut scene from this or ones like at the, at the end of Spider-Man, no way home when it's like, oh, we're just going to give you the trailer for Doctor Strange. It's like, right. You know, sometimes it feels like they're getting a little lazy. And and I think again to to play out our thought experiment from the from minute one of this season. Yeah. What if they'd left Cap alone and given us much more of the extended scene that we get in in the deleted scene this minute? Give us a little bit more of his background. Don't give us the boxing cut at the end of. Captain America, the first Avenger, but instead give us the the prologue sequence of the staff being handed to the green clad who we know to be Loki and the introduction of the other that is introduced in this movie very awkwardly and put that at the end of the last movie. I think that's that just makes like it it like fixes it. It fixes all the weirdness that 
I experience going from that movie to this movie and just makes things make more sense. A good teaser. We don't need the whole trailer. I didn't need the whole trailer of the Avengers. It wasn't even a very good cut of the trailer at the end of the last movie. Uh, And I think it all comes to roost right here because we get more meat with Steve and a reintroduction of his character in a way that's earned. Besides, you know, there's another element of this that I that that I feel like they didn't take advantage of with regard to Steve, which is Steve goes down in the ice at the end of that of the the last movie. Shouldn't that be at the end of the movie the last we see of him? Isn't it weird that we get Steve again unfrozen caveman style but in the boxing ring <laughs> immediately after we saw him go down is there not one minute to have an emotional grieving moment about the end of his character even though we all know what happens we all know we're all nerds here together like we <laughs> we know what happens doesn't it make more sense to let that go give us a different tie-in to the coming movie and give him the the emotional way deserve? i just feel like i i feel like they borked it so are you now saying that we shouldn't have even seen him wake up in 2011? Like yeah, that whole scene in the, in the scene. faux yeah. hospital room? That's what I'm now saying right now. That's what I'm now saying. Wow. I know. That's a hard pivot. That's a cold, dark ending. Yeah. That's like that's like the David Fincher ending of the of the movie. You're no right. Exactly. Except for I would have preferred it if we did meet Cap, but he was a small baby. <laughs> If we been if we Benjamin buttoned him, <laughs> that would have been cool. The search for cap. <laughs> wow. Now, I guess as we as we talk about it and think about it, it would be interesting, especially for humor, if because he was frozen and and then thawed out. And yes, he's he's super buff and you know superhuman to some extent. I think it'd be kind of funny. Because he's an old man, if he kind of had like some creaky joints because he's still working out the frozenness. <laughs> and like as the movie goes on, he loosens up, you know, and, and uh, <laughs> so he's like the tin man, basically. Yeah. But, he's like, you oh. know, er- everyone's joking about him being an old man, you know, the arthritis, but he's just kind of trying to work it out. Oh, you know what? Then he goes full Henry Cavill in Mission Impossible and he does the oh, cocking yeah. thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that. <laughs> I can see that being a real unfrozen uh, action hero move. Maybe Henry Cavill was frozen, and that's just backstory we never got. <laughs> uh, okay, now, another question I have for the two of you. What do you think of this Stan Lee cameo? Do you like this, uh, the way that it plays in our deleted scene here? I like it because uh, he's actually interacting with the character that we got, especially in the later ones. It was so many times where he was just like a separate cut out a window or something, and obviously not in the scene at all. Yeah. I mean, I'll take I'll take them all. I'll take what we can get. But uh, but I like it when when he's actually interacting. I do, too. And remember, in the last movie, the Stanley cameo, he didn't get to, he was in Captain America and he didn't get to interact with Captain America. Well, he was even shot on a different like the, the whole thing looked so fake as to as to I the know. way that that you scene are, was constructed. <laughs> you're it a was... bona fide antagonist <laughs> for that old scene. <laughs> but I'm just saying, don't you think it would make sense for I th- I prefer the cameos where Stan gets to interact with the actual principal character. I think that's more fun. Uh, you know, I guess I don't really care to that extent. I mean, I, I definitely appreciate it when it seems like a better, a better, like a more exciting thing to be a part of. And the fact that here, yes, he's interacting with Steve, but that whole ask for her number, you moron. Like, it yeah. just, 
I don't know. It plays in a really fun way that is more interesting than what we get for him when he's on the news later in this film. That's fair. Yeah. All right. Well, I don't know if I have anything else for minute 21. Do either of you have any last thoughts for this one? I guess the only thought is, especially as I rewatch the minute with the music, I feel like I'm understanding what, what Steve must be feeling and all that. But the flashbacks that they show, they, it seems like I'm missing something there. Like, yes, he's thinking back to things that he did, but I don't necessarily link the feeling I'm getting with battle time with my buds. You know, I don't know. (laughs) I just wish that we'd had more battle time. That's an awesome way to refer to it. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Well, and we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about, I want to save the frozen Steve for tomorrow's minute because there's definitely an element of that to discuss. But in the, to your point, sure. Bringing the Valkyrie down, remembering the Tesseract, you know, Peggy's line that she says, like, there are a lot of moments like that sort of stuff, I think, are the things that you probably would be remembering. But yeah, when it comes to getting angry and, and um, you know, upset about what you've what you've lost because of this uh, misplaced, like being displaced through time because of everything that's gone on with the super soldier serum. It is strange that the things that he's specifically remembering, at least that we see here, are running through the forest and shooting soldiers, protecting himself from from soldiers shooting at him, and hitting soldiers with his shield. Like those, those are largely the things that he's, I guess, mad about. Yeah, it is weird. I guess to me, that's it's little things like that that uh, it just reminds me that it's a movie. It's kind of like the the line wars are won with soldiers. Uh, you know, it moves us to the next scene, but you want some closure for the actual conversation. Um, it, this reminds me it's a movie and it's kind of like, hey, remember the, the other movie that came before this one? So what would you put in its place? Like, what to you would say, that's what I would think that Steve would be reflecting on and getting upset about in a flashback here? Um, well, I can't speak for the next minute, but the stuff that shows up in this minute you know, I just, I don't know, like more hanging out with people like Bucky or, or, you know, just maybe even show some skinny Steve times or something, you know? Mm-hmm. You know, what they, whatever they show, I think it would be really funny if all of the cuts to current Steve, he's sitting in an apartment surrounded by old trash can lids. Like that's all he's fixated on is just <laughs> trash can lids all over his all over his house that would be great he made it to laptop and now all he does is collect trash can lids <laughs> i uh you don't appreciate my absurdist <laughs> humor i get andy because you went silent on me for a second there you're trying well, to rationalize that's, that's because we're trying to have a serious a serious conversation about I, <laughs> flashback <laughs> scenes for steve what is he thinking about that he's upset about and you go trash can lids i trash can't help lids. what that's comes so in my head andy i can't help it <laughs> i must ex- exercise the demon <laughs> Oh, too funny. The realities probably are, are disappointingly, I would guess that they can't include uh, a Sebastian Stan because of contract stuff. And probably if they did, he said, his agent probably said, well, that counts as one of his nine movies then if you include him. So they weren't going to include him. Tommy Lee Jones probably wanted more money to, if they were going to include him. And so my hunch is there probably were like those sorts of behind the scenes things that kept some of the stuff from being used. But to your point, if if 
none of that mattered. I absolutely agree with you. I would have Bucky in there. I probably would have uh, Erskine in there. And like, I, I would say the scene when Erskine and Steve are sitting in the Quonset hut talking about why they picked Steve, like a moment like that, um, when he's coming out of the, um, out of the chamber. Um, there are a lot of those moments that I think um, he probably would be thinking about, about the things that he lost. So to your point, it's going to be the people, it's going to be those moments that he's thinking of, not running through the forest and shooting side by side with Dum Dum Dugan. <laughs> uh, maybe ne- Neil McDonough was the only one who said, yeah, I use footage of me, I don't really care. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm curious how that works as as these Marvel movies go on, because there's... Uh, you know, people that have smaller parts that don't even know what movie they were in because they're just shooting this stuff all the time. And, and uh, yeah, somebody's got to keep track of that as far as credits and money and all that. But, right. But right, right. Uh, maybe they're a little bit more protective at the beginning. I don't know. Yeah. Right, right. Well, it has been a fun minute chatting with you about uh, about Steve and about the World Security Council and all that. So um, we certainly appreciate you joining us today. Thank you so much, Jonathan. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Remind everybody um, what projects you're on. Uh, you're working on out there on the internet. Oh, you can listen to the Princess Bride minute. It's been a while. Uh, we did finish that one, and uh, so you can just you can binge all you want. Um, UHF sixty second. Uh, yeah, we we you know it's still partial. Um, <laughs> maybe somebody else will finish it for us. Maybe we'll finish it someday. Uh, yeah, I'm just waiting for all the people to like just bang down my door and say we want more. Then okay, okay, maybe. I'm sure they're out there. I'm sure they're out there. Absolutely. We'll check those out, everybody. Um, We will be back with Jonathan uh, next week to talk about minutes 27, 28, 29. So we'll have another chance to chat with him sometime soon. Uh, But that's it for this week. So, um, Pete, thanks as always. This week's podcast is brought to you by Trash Can Lids. (laughs) See what I did there? Call back. Until next time, true believers. Yeah. I see what you did there. (laughs) I see what you did there. Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is Message to the World by Anthony Vega, and this season's show art is by Winston Yabo. Find the show at truestory.fm. If your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, please consider doing that for our show.